Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast and I'm also the manager and director of B Squared, a company who supports schools to show small steps of progress. Each week on the podcast, we talk about a different topic within the world of special educational needs, something to help us learn and support children with special needs and disability. You could be a parent or relative, a teacher, teaching assistant, Senko, senior leader, advisor, or someone who works with children with SEN. There is so much to do, so much to learn, and a load of stuff we do not have time for. The Sencast is here to help you broaden your knowledge around a range of topics within the world of special needs. In this episode, our guest, Natalie Packer, has joined me to talk about the importance of high-quality teaching and to ensure all children have access to high-quality teaching. But before we get started, do you know what we do here at B-Squared? Have you even heard of B-Squared? B-Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She was always struggling to show progress with pupils with special needs, so she created something that would keep her going until someone else made something better. 25 years later, we are still supporting schools and SEND. One of the ways we do this has been by launching the Virtual Send Conference in 2019. It is a way to access CPD around SEND that is more affordable and easier to access. It is a conference that you access over the internet, but it's also a series of videos you can access on demand, helping you support pupils with SEND. For more information, visit our new website, www.trainingforeducation.com, where you will find all our conferences. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. If you are a parent, we have also launched parent talks so that you can access support and advice in the same way. Now on with the podcast. This week's podcast is discussing high-quality teaching and how to ensure all children have access. Our guest is Natalie Packer, an independent education consultant specialising in SEND and school improvement. Natalie develops and delivers a wide range of training and support to schools, multi-academy trusts and other organisations. She is a member of Nason's 0-11 advisory group and also supports the whole school SEND review process. On top of this, and being a governor and trustee, Natalie has also found lots of time to write books, Perfect Senko and the Teacher's Guide to SEN. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Hello, thank you. In the 2015 SEND Code of Practice, on page 99, you will find high quality teaching differentiated for individual pupils is the first step to responding to pupils who have or may have SEN. Additional intervention and support cannot compensate for a lack of good quality teaching. So high quality teaching is about how inclusive teachers are and how inclusive the school is. It is about being able to support pupils in class in the lesson, not relying on interventions or additional support to do all the work. Now, some children may need additional support and interventions, but some schools rely on these to do everything. So Natalie, why is high quality teaching so important? Well, if we start with what you were just talking about, Dale, in terms of the code of practice, code of practice does indeed say that inclusive, high quality teaching is is the starting point for meeting the needs of, of pupils with or without SEND. And actually, no amount of additional support or intervention can really make up for, for poor quality teaching. So that, that's why it's it's so important. And it it relates very much to the key point in the code of practice around every teacher being a teacher of SEND and every teacher being responsible for and accountable for the progress that every child in their class makes, including those with special educational needs and, and disabilities. It's the start of the Assess, Plan, Do review process. And one of the reasons why it featured so heavily in this in this code of practice was because partly because of the research that Ofsted did back in 2010. They they published a report which was called The Statement is Not Enough. And in that report, the Ofsted was saying that actually too many children in this country at at that time were identified with having special educational needs and, and disabilities. So back in 2010, the overall figure was something like 21% of all children identified with SEN. Currently, in 2019, that from the 2019 data, that figure is 14.9%. It's quite a big difference. And what Ofsted was saying at the time was that some of those children that had been identified didn't actually have special educational needs in accordance with the code of practice definition, but that they were effectively underachieving. Now, 
what Ofsted was saying was that some of the reason for that was that it was because of poor quality teaching. And so there was a real kind of drive nationally from that point onwards to really support and improve basic foundations of teaching for for, for children and young people with, with SEN. This also links to um, something that a, a, a colleague of, of mine talks about as well. So Mark Rowland is a, a kind of a national expert really on disadvantaged and vulnerable pupils. And he refers to these pupils as the canaries down the coal mine. And and he talks about, about this because it, it refers to um, when miners used to go down the mine, they used to take a caged canary with them because if there were any hazardous gases down there, the canary would suffer before it got to the point of the gases being dangerous for humans and often the canary would die. And so he he kind of makes that makes this analogy really with some of our most vulnerable children because quite often what happens in education is that when things go wrong, it's often those most vulnerable pupils that suffer the most. Yes, he he refers mainly to, to disadvantaged children, but often we can also think about many of our children and young people with SEND in a, in a similar vein. And that that includes when we're thinking about the importance of high quality teaching. So, for example, the, the, the Sutton Trust did some research um, a, a couple of years ago and they looked at the, the difference in terms of impact where children had got had really good teaching and where children had, had, had poor teaching. And over the course of 12 months, the difference in terms of progress could be up to five or six months. So a child who got really good quality teaching could make an additional five or six months progress over a child who had had poor teaching. Now, that report was focusing on all children. But what we do know from from further research is that the impact of both poor teaching and good teaching can be even more significant when it comes to children who are vulnerable and children with special educational needs and disabilities. So in a sense, you know, it's, it's even more important than ever than the children that the children that we're talking about have have really good quality teaching. The other thing that I would also add is that, you know, if we look at teacher standards, it's part of the teacher standards. So standard number five states that teachers must adapt teaching to respond to the strengths and needs of all pupils. And this includes things like understanding what the barriers to learning are, adapting different pedagogical approaches and evaluating the, the approaches that they use. So all of our teachers are working towards these standards. Um, and I think also one of the things that I was really pleased with was when the early careers framework was launched earlier this, this year, there's also a standard in there which, which focuses quite a lot on, on SEN as well. Again, it's, it's standard number five, and that's all about adapting teaching. And that includes things like working with SENCO, working with parents and carers to really understand children's needs and adapt to teaching effectively. Cool. Just going back to that canary comment. So what would that look like? I'm guessing at one end, one extra, what example is that behave, negative behaviour? You might end up with school refusal. But in reality, you're talking about lack of engagement with that lesson. It doesn't have to be an extreme reaction. It's just kind of not engaged in those lessons. No, no I, think, I think engagement is a good is a good starting point because actually you know, if a child isn't engaged, they're not going to learn. I mean, I think, you know, that it, this that kind of leads us on to the question around what we mean by high quality teaching, because I suppose, you know, we could talk about, we can explore the elements of what high quality teaching looks look like. And then we can say, well, actually, poor teaching is the, in a sense, is the opposite to that. I think that engagement is a big thing. So we've had the engagement model, which is like a P1 to P4 concept. I kind of don't like how that, that thing at that level makes no real sense to me. But the whole idea of engagement is a big thing, is the more engaged a child is, the more that, as you said, more improved that will be in their outcomes. So engagement is a big key thing. It's being about to identify how engaged your pupils are. And it's thinking about when you're delivering lessons, how to deliver that in an engaging way for your children. So it's about engagement is a great way of knowing how well teachers know their children as well. It is. And, and 
engagement is one of the, if you like, the kind of the key aspects that I would say is included as part of, of you know, of, of what high quality teaching is, along with knowing your children really well. So, you know, for, for me, I when I talk about inclusive high quality teaching, I'm talking about teaching that ensures planning and implementation is, is meeting the needs of all pupils and that it's it's starting with high expectations because I think that's that's really important because you know we don't want to be putting any ceiling on learning for children so starting with those high expectations is is really really important and uh, alongside that I I I write quite a lot about inclusive high quality teaching in my book the teacher's guide to send and one of the things that I do is to talk about it as a as a sort of jigsaw so in the way that you know if we were if we were doing a doing a jigsaw there are lots of pieces and if there is a piece missing then actually the jigsaw isn't complete similar similarly to earning what I would consider an inclusive lesson there are many elements to that and if some of those elements are are not there then the lesson is likely not to be very you know particularly inclusive so within that 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 jigsaw I have a a, a number of of different kind of key elements that I see as being really important to, to high quality teaching. So as I've just mentioned, that starts with high expectations and just picking up on the two things that you've mentioned, developing relationships and knowing the children well is another one, engagement and challenge. And, and I think those two things can quite often go together really effectively as well, as well as things like developing an inclusive learning environment, scaffolding learning, using effective questioning and also thinking about how you are developing independent skills in children and young people because ultimately that's where we really want to get to as you know as 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 teachers as educators we want to be enabling our students to be independent learners and, and independent thinkers so for me all of those elements are are really key to the idea of of what high quality teaching looks like I think that engagement and that challenge is it is a fine line. If if something's too easy, they're not going to be engaged. If if something's pitched miles too high and it's too difficult, they're not going to be engaged. And you've got to learn your children. And going back to that questioning, that really helps you identify where children are. And it's also getting that feedback from the students. It is because it's it's very much well, it's very much a two way thing, isn't it? You talk you just talking about the getting that balance between challenge and engagement, and that I think that links quite nicely to the to the theory of flow. So there's um, a psychologist I, I can't remember where he came from. His name is Chick Sentmihaly. I think possibly Russian. I'm not quite sure. Um, and he came up with this idea of idea of the theory of flow, where in order to to get true engagement you have to be able to get that balance for a learner in terms of the level of challenge but also weighing that up against the the knowledge understanding and skills that children already have so that that that's where we get to that point of saying well actually we know that true true engagement is happening where that balance is right so the challenge isn't too hard or too easy and we've taken into consideration where the children are already at in their learning and the idea idea of the theory of flow is when a person is is completely absorbed into a particular activity or, or or task and that's when you know that's when they're really engaged i think that's when you start looking at that whole school level the curriculum you're doing so if you're thinking of a creative curriculum or like the outdoors forest type curriculum is your that is a tool to boost that engagement. It's a way to actually get your children engaged. So when you're thinking about an outcome, it's how can I do this in an engaging way within that curriculum we've chosen that follows. And to me, that's a big thing is actually I could teach someone binary. I like computing, binary, numbers. Most people just fall asleep. There's a way I could do it and they're just the I've got to get this done or there's a way I can sit there and go, actually, I can make this really interesting and fun. And it's kind of looking at your curriculum as a school and that's what you're kind of be looking for is how to make this activity engaging. Yeah, it is. And I would, I, you know, you just you just use the word fun there. I think I would perhaps exercise a little bit of caution <laughs> because learning doesn't have to be fun to, to be engaging. No. 
the, the, there is a difference and I think you know this is um this is something where I've, I've done quite a lot of work with sort of newly qualified teachers not just around send but in in terms of effective teaching and learning generally and I think sometimes there there can be a bit of a misconception that to, for, for learning to be engaging it's it's got to be fun and that that's not necessarily that the, the case and again in just thinking about the, le- the the level of challenge you know if if a child is feeling confident and comfortable with their learning environment actually you can give them a a, a challenge which they can really really rise to even if it's not necessarily something that they would find fun or even a particular around a particular subject or aspect that they would usually be engaged in. So again, it, it goes back to getting that that balance back, that balance right. Yeah, and I think I think you can look at what engages you in your life. Hmm. So uh, when you're watching, uh, I'm not going to say end your lessons on a cliffhanger like a soap, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes on TV programs, you might be going, "Oh yeah, we'll finish this off tomorrow when we will." And sometimes even just doing something like that might make people look forward to something tomorrow there's lots of different skills you can use and think about just in your life what engages you Mm. because if it engages you in your life then in some ways you can take that into your classroom apply it to the teaching yes yeah and and also comes back to what you were saying before about about knowing the children and getting feedback from them in terms of actually what's likely to engage them and what's likely to be appropriate in terms of what you're challenging them with because lots of schools do they they might go okay so this this uh, term we're going to do a topic on the Romans and you have that big group group discussion with your class and what do you know about Romans tell me what would you like to learn and you almost that child led learning yeah if you if you if your child feels more involved in signing what they're going to learn they're going to be more engaged in that as well so it, sometimes it's not what you do it's 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 that partnership with the pupils and helping shape that almost buys in their engagement automatically it is i've i've done um, quite a lot of work with some colleagues who have been looking at qualities of outstanding teaching and one of whom is is, is mark burns and he talks about this idea of doing a pre-mortems which sounds a bit <laughs> it might sound a bit morbid but the idea of that is is as a teacher as part of their planning should be really looking at, at where children are at in their learning before they're they're planning what objectives need to come next and part of that pre-mortem exercise if you like is get is getting that feedback from the children to know exactly you know exactly where they are and that that applies to generally to a whole class when we're thinking about effective teaching and learning but then if we take that the principle of that and apply that to a child who has got additional needs having that sort of level of of understanding and knowledge of where that child is at in their learning is really really important because to be effective and in order to be able to get that engagement and the, the right level of challenge you've got to start from where the child is at so i suppose to think about if if someone's sitting there going am i a high quality teacher i suppose one of the easiest ways to think is to answer that question is maybe look at your class and think are your children engaged? Now, it's not always easy to engage every child in every lesson, depending on the topic and various other things, but it's almost looking at that engagement from your pupils. And that, that was probably give you a, a start of an indicator. Where else, what else could they look at? Or is that not a good indicator? It, well, it, well, it is. And, you know, if we, if you, if certainly if you apply that to the principles of the engagement profile, particularly for those children at sort of early, early levels of development in terms of their, their learning all of those aspects of engagement that the profile talks about, such as responsiveness, for example, are for those children will be, you know, will be effective ways of, of identifying. I think, again, we've just got to sort of exercise caution that for some children, they might appear to be engaged, but actually, are they learning, which is clearly what they're there for, then, you know, just because they look engaged doesn't always mean that they're necessarily actually learning. And I think we, you know, we can take a lot from what we've learned fairly recently from kind of cognitive science, for example, around actually what what we mean by learning and then how as how teachers can support that learning process so so you know currently we're using that 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 definition of learning as one 
where we're referring to learning being a change in long-term memory. That's a, you know, it's a definition that's come from cognitive science. It happens to be the one that Ofsted are using now as well. So, you know, it's it, it's much more commonly being used. And so actually to, to really demonstrate that children have learned something, we need to be able to see that there has been that change in their in their long-term memory. So as I say, that just sometimes children can appear to be engaged, but actually whether they're learning is, is, can sometimes be a different matter. So it's that engagement, it's looking for, it's being highly aspirational, looking for that progress. Yes. Is a big thing. What, what other indicators? Um, I suppose in theory, it's not going to be the perfect class with absolutely zero behavior incidents or anything, but in theory, things like behavior is, it might also be an indicator of engagement. That might be a wider issues as well, I suppose. So it could be a few red herrings. I, I think the, you know, the behavior thing is, is important and, and it's, I think that's that's partly one of the, if you like, the foundations of creating that inclusive learning environment in which children will be more effectively able to learn. So, you know, again, just because a, a child looks like they're behaving appropriately doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be learning, but they're going to be in a much better place to learn. And it's it's quite interesting when you look at the, the the research that the Education Endowment Foundation have done recently around SEND. So they published a report back in March called Special Educational Needs in Mainstream Schools. And, and what they've done within that report is to identify five key recommendations for schools when they're considering, you know, what, what good SEN support looks like in a mainstream school. And the the, the first one of those aspects is is around creating a, a positive and supportive environment for, for all pupils without exception because there is that understanding that you know if you've got if you've got those positive behavior strategies in place if you're focusing on developing positive relationships between between children and, and their peers and children and adults and adults and adults and you're prioritizing things like pupil well-being if you've got all of those key foundations in place, then actually you you know you've got really good starting point. Then the children are in a it will be in a much better place to learn. So all of those things are really important as the start of that learning process. We'll be putting a link to the uh, that report in the notes, so don't worry to go finding it. We will be putting the link there. So it'll be nice and easy to find. I just mentioned that that was the first recommendation from from the report. Just to just to pick up on the on the others, the the, the second one is around building an, an ongoing holistic understanding of pupils' needs, and again that picks up on something you were saying earlier about developing those relationships, but also really understanding child's strengths and needs. And then the the third point is around ensuring access to high quality teaching, which is you know exactly what what we're talking about now. So it's that report recognizes that high quality teaching is is a is a key factor in terms of schools being successful in meeting the needs of um, of pupils with SEN the um the, the fourth recommendation is around then complementing that high quality teaching with carefully selected interventions so Dale you made the point right at the start that you know some children will need additional support but actually we've got to start with the high quality teaching and then you know, for those pupils for whom that's not enough, if you like, then they will require something which is perhaps additional to or or um, is more structured, either as a group intervention or or one to one. And then the fifth recommendation is around working effectively with with teaching assistants. And although that's identified as a as a separate recommendation in the report to developing access to high quality teaching, I, from my perspective, I. I sort of see that as part and parcel of what an inclusive high quality teach, you know, what high quality teaching looks like, because actually for a class teacher to be able to deploy any additional adults effectively in the class, I think is something which, you know, is, is really key to that inclusive lesson anyway. I think it's important for the teacher to know the kind of the strengths and weaknesses of each teaching assistant, yeah. making sure the teaching assistant knows the pupils. So, you know, sometimes teaching systems work better with certain pupils. It's, it's been knowing all of that within the topic is crucial. 
It is. For some, t- for some teachers, that can actually be quite tricky. You know, again, just going back to some of the work that I've done with newly qualified teachers, one, one of the things that they often find a challenge with is, is, is how to effectively work with additional adults in the class. But not just thinking about what individual teachers do at that sort of level in terms of deploying teaching assistance. But, we, you know, if we, we, we refer to the, um, the really excellent research that was done by Rob Webster and colleagues at the Institute of Education when they were doing the, the MITRE project, the Maximising the Impact of Teaching Assistance, really, really seminal piece of, of work that they started back in 2000 and 2009 and have carried on with that research since then. One of the main findings from that research was that the impact that teaching assistants have is very much dependent on the way that they are deployed by leaders in the school. So, you know, it's not just about how the individual teacher is working with teacher assistants, but it starts, it starts right from the top. So thinking about what, what are the skills of the teaching assistants, for example, and how will they most effectively be deployed? What are schools doing as part of the induction process? How are schools supporting teachers and teaching assistants to work together in partnership? Just um, one example of a, of a school that I know that's done some really excellent work around this is St. Mary's Primary School in, in Barnet. And they've, they've spent a number of years doing lots of, of, of work around effective deployment of teaching assistance based on the MITRE research. And so they've, they've put things in place. For example, they've developed guidelines for teachers and teaching assistants working together. They've provided liaison time for teachers and teaching assistants to do some planning together. They make sure that teaching assistants have copies of teachers' plans to refer to. Um, And another thing that they've really focused on is developing teaching assistants' subject knowledge. Now, that particular example is a a primary school, but I think, you know, for secondary schools, that's, that's really, really key because if you've got teaching assistants who might be supporting say an individual student who has a, an EHCP might be supporting that student in a science lesson in year nine. If that teaching assistant is really going to support that student effectively, they've got to have a certain level of subject knowledge to be able to do that. So that's, so that's another thing that that, that, that that school has done, has been doing really well. I think when it comes to that, knowing your children, it is there are a lot of things you can do that will support all pupils, but sometimes you may also need the child many different or specific support for them. So it's, and it might need the teacher and the teaching assistant need training, but also another way is finding out is actually asking the child, how do you learn best? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, pupil voice is, is, is really key here as well as asking the, the pupils, you know, asking the parents as well, because, they're the ones that know their, their their child better than anybody, and this is this is all very much part of the graduated approach. It's part of the assess plan do review process. So that you know that initial assessment stage, if if a, if a teacher or a parent or anyone else is is identifying that initial concern about a child and and the lack of progress, all of that information is really important to gather as the starting point for that discussion around, well, how are we going to support that, that child next? So in terms of identifying perhaps some of those individual strategies or additional support that that child will need, again, that's going to be a key part of the assess, plan, do, review process. So when it comes to planning, it's about everybody sitting down together, having that information, sharing that information talking about you know what they know about the child what the child's as you say what the child's strengths and areas of needs are and what strategies the teacher can then apply or try to support that that child and then is there anything above and beyond those high quality teaching strategies that that child may then may then require and I suppose that that's the point at which you know as a school you might then be developing an individual support plan for, for a child to, to really formalize that process a bit more so i suppose for high quality teaching to be really effective it's got to be started as a whole school process it's not a one teacher one teacher can be can do but in reality for this to really work to get you need to buy in a everyone in that school it's got to start with the leaders leading that 
because it generally does take a bit longer to order this. There is more time involved, but the results will generally outweigh that process. And once you start making these changes, there'll be it's a bit quite a big change spending that time looking at all that, but it will get easier the more you do it, which means it will take less time in the in the future. But it should make life simpler and easier for staff in the long run because you're all working towards the same outcomes. You're already working on the same thing. It should hopefully mean if you're doing this whole approach across the whole school, that I think as we said previous on in previous podcasts is you want the same each class to follow the same idea, but it might look different at different ages. But you want the child to sort of have the same expectations as they go through that school. Yeah, I think you know, just picking up on what you're saying about that the whole school approach, that that's really important. And it's this this is this is partly about, you know, that that idea which we all sign up to that, you know, good good practice for people with SEN is good practice for all. And it it's actually about starting with the principles of good teaching and learning. End of really. <laughs> Um, and, and I think that's 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 a really important message about the idea of high quality teaching because you know again some teachers can can get this idea that it, it's about lots of different additional strategies and they've got to be doing lots of you know personalised learning for every child that that has SEN that that's not the starting point and again just going back to the EEF report in that recommendation number three, which talks about ensuring access to high quality teaching, the, you know, the report talks about teachers developing a repertoire of strategies that are those strategies that, you know, we know from all of the research that's around there now about effective teaching and learning, what makes good teaching and learning, and then using those strategies flexibly to respond and adapt to the needs of, of, of different individual pupils. And that's what high quality teaching is about. And the report, the report happens to identify, I think it's four or five particular strategies, which it, it says, look, these are good strategies for all children in terms of teaching and learning. But actually, we know that they're particularly useful for a lot of children with special educational needs, particularly those with cognitive difficulties. So, for example, it talks about flexible the, the use of flexible grouping, and again, this is something which comes up in the standard number five in the early careers framework. So that idea of you know when you're grouping children that you know we don't want to be putting all the so-called lower ability or lower prior attaining children together because we know that that can have a really negative impact in terms of expectations for those pupils and also those pupils might then not have the, the the sort of role models that we would like them to have so actually we should be grouping children in a much more flexible way depending on their needs at the time depending on the subject depending on the particular objective of of the lesson and and that's um something which comes across in the the work that Alison Peacock did a few years ago around learning without limits which is all about not putting a ceiling on on children's learning. So that's one of the strategies um, it, it talks about. Some of the other strategies that it talks about are focused on development of metacognitive skills and teaching specific teaching, explicit teaching of metacognitive strategies, explicit instruction and scaffolding, all of which are really a key in Rosenshine's principles of instruction. And, you know, many schools are now looking at and using those principles of, of instruction as, as, the, as the basis, really, the foundation to, to good teaching and learning because they make a lot of sense. You know, they are, they are just really sensible, uh, sensible strategies. And a lot of those strategies, again, are particularly useful for, for the children that, that, that we're talking about. So that idea of scaffolding learning, you know, that's a, something that, that that we'd always do for a lot of children with with SEM, whether that's around scaffolding the amount of additional adult support they have, whether it's providing visual prompts to scaffold that learning, whether it's giving them an opportunity to work alongside a peer and then work independently. Yeah, just like I say, just makes a lot of sense. And I just I think the the whole 
advent of Rosenshine's principles and the use of that in schools has, has the, ha, well, in some schools has, and in others has the potential to make a real difference to a lot of our pupils with SEN. I like, I like just going back to basics. Let's start at the basics, start at the beginning. How do children learn? How do we yeah. teach? Starting at the very basics. I remember probably about eight, nine years, might not be that long ago, when people were trying to find out what is Ofsted's perfect lesson? How much time should we spend at the front of the class? And they were literally asking some questions without any context. Like, should I be in the center of the class? Should I be in the front of the class? Should I be here? Should I? And it was just really quite asking, almost getting tied up in the detail really getting tied up on should I spend 10 minutes at the front of the class and then be in the middle of the class or should I be how should I be doing this and it was like look at your pupils go back to your pupils and just peel back and go back to the basics how do children learn yeah if you go back to that you can build on top of that and you'll develop what how that looks in your school yeah on your own yeah and it's I think it's it's almost a combination isn't it of, of saying right okay what what do we know what does evidence and research show us? You know, what do we know from neuroscience? What do we know from psychology about the most effective ways that the children learn? What can we take from research from such as the research that the EEF have done and the Sutton Trust have done around effective teaching and learning generally? Then we put that together with our knowledge of our children within the context of our school and all of that together is what then helps to inform that decisions about what what the, what that teacher should do, you know, it, what what's going to be most effective for that teacher when he or she is stood in front of that class at that particular point in time. Yeah, and I think you've always always got to take in your own personality, your own style into that picture as well. So what works for me might not work for someone else. What works, you can't just take what someone's done, put it in your class, even with the same pupils, someone else delivering it could have a different effect yes and you know i think that's uh, one of the benefits of things like lesson study so you know as an as an approach to professional development for for teachers i, I think lesson study can be really effective in that way because what it, it does is to provide two or three teachers to be to have that opportunity to first of all to discuss some of the principles but then also see what that looks like in practice when when somebody else is delivering it, if you like, and um, I'm um, I'm a, a, a trustee of a multi academy trust based in Market Harbour in Leicestershire called Learner, and as as a trust, you know the the trust is has got a real strength. Well, it's got lots of strengths, I have to say, but <laughs> one of its greatest strengths is the work that that it does with with all staff around professional development and the approach to, to professional development, which is very much grounded in, in research and evidence. And lesson study has been one of the things that we're using across all of the schools really, really effectively to really move teachers' practice on. And I know that in, in other trusts that I've worked with, they've taken a similar approach to lesson study and, and, and applied it, in a sense, to SEN. So they've specifically looked at that focus of teaching and learning for SEN children as their focus for, for lesson study. And, you know, I've had a, a number of teachers that have said that they found that really useful. So is lesson study an approach, a product, a website? It, yeah, it's, it, it's, an, it's an approach. Yes, yeah, so if, you, if, if you Google lesson study, there's, there's lots, of, lots of research, lots of work that's, that, that's gone. It, it was a, it's an approach that started, I think it was in Japan, quite a number of, of years ago now. And it's, over time, it's, it, it's been developed in numerous ways. But it's, um, basically, it's, a, it's where you have two or three teachers who were working together, usually three in a, in a triad, They'll identify a particular focus as a as a group. They will plan a plan a lesson, and that lesson will then be delivered by one of the one of the triad, and the others will observe that lesson. And then at the end of it, they'll talk together about the impact of it, and you know, look at look at how what went well and anything that that, that might change. And then somebody else will deliver a, a lesson based, you know, with the same sort of focus. And and it says so. It's a it's an approach to professional development, but it's not just about training. It goes much further than that. And it's about teachers reflecting on their practice, which is really important. 
I suppose it really helps embed your understanding of a concept because if you were able, let's say you, me and some other person, we both observe that person and you give feedback and saying this was great, but actually you could do that more. I sit there and go, cool, we need to do that more. I go into it. I think I'm doing it, but you might sit there and go, no. And it's, it's helping and rather than just watching someone else and learn. It's being, being given a chance to be involved in that, put that into practice and getting feedback again. It is, although it's not, it's not, the idea of it isn't about necessarily the observation of the teacher and then feedback to the teacher. It's more about the observation of, of the pupils and then actually the discussion is, a, is around the pupils and the, the teacher that's delivering the lesson is very much part of that conversation as opposed to it being, you know, if where you might have an observation that's happening for yeah. accountability purposes and somebody's saying you know this is what went well and up but also but i think you should try this it's not it, it's it's much yeah, more of a collaborative yeah. approach <laughs> yes but i sometimes is i know when I, you work with people you go yeah we all got it and then yeah. one person has a different point of view or yeah, you've got yeah. it wrong it's, it's a great way of just checking your knowledge it is yes it is yeah so yeah. i always like checking my knowledge i would like to say something and then i say something on a podcast and then the person i'm talking to looks at me very confused <laughs> Gives me a lot of feedback. <laughs> Not non-verbal cues. <laughs> non-verbal cues. Yes, I look for them very a lot. <laughs> so it is this whole it is whole school approach. It's going to be led by the teachers. The Senko is going to be involved. It goes to the TA. So it's, it is a whole big school. There's a lot of to do. So how long? Because it's, 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 it's supposed, how long do you start to see the effects? And that's a real open-ended question. There's probably a big can of worms. But I suppose the moment you start thinking about this in your own teaching, you're probably going to start to see changes, aren't you? You are. Well, you would hope so. <laughs> yes. If you're, if you're a reflective practitioner. No, actually, no, I'll rephrase that. If you're a reflexive practitioner so the the idea of you know we can as teachers as professionals we can reflect on our own practice and we can hopefully identify ourselves what you know what's working well and anything that we we might want to try and improve on but actually if then that's where it ends there's not a lot of point to it actually what we need to do is is act upon that and that's the idea of reflect being re- reflexive as opposed to just being reflective. So I think where you know where teachers are teachers are enabled to do that because that's a really important part of this, you know, to, yes there are some teachers who will be absolutely motivated enough to go off on their own and you know reflect on their lessons. But this is part of 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 leaders developing that culture of professional development across the school. So where teachers have got that opportunity built in to their professional development offer, then actually, you know, hopefully, yes, it, it is going to make a, a difference to their practice. J- just from um, an SEN perspective, there's a, a quite a useful resource that Whole School Send have produced called the Reflection Framework. So Whole School Send are a consortium of national SEND organisations that have come together to lead some work around workforce development they they were provided with a grant from the DFE and they've they've been using that grant to develop resources and guidance for schools and settings around supporting children with send one of the things that they've done is to is to develop a whole suite of review materials and one of the the materials is is the reflection framework. So the idea of the reflection framework is that it's for teachers to reflect on their own practice in terms of how they meet the needs of pupils with SEN in their class. So it's um it looks at various aspects of of the teaching and learning process. It looks at things like how how well they know their their students. We you know we've already said how, how important that is. It looks at teaching and learning in the classroom. It looks at things like their knowledge of SEN systems and processes in the school. It considers things like how how they effectively work with parents and carers and other professionals in in the school and and external to the school. And it it provides a, a kind of framework of statements that teachers can look at and they can think, well, you know, is this something that I that I feel is a strength in my practice, or is it perhaps something that I could maybe develop a bit further? So 
it's a really useful framework for them to reflect on. And it's also quite useful for, for leaders to be asking their teachers to use the framework, to complete the framework. And that can then help leaders to identify any common areas of professional development that they could then focus on. I always like a review. I use that in lots of different things. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to know what I'm rubbish at. I'm, I'm, I like being quite blunt with myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes we can be a little bit too honest, can't we? <laughs> I get myself a zero and I sit there and it gives me a kick and I yeah. stick it and do this. But I, I, whenever you, I try and do something, if, if you sometimes you sit there and go, I don't know where to start. And I always find a review, anything like that, always gives you that sort of, okay, these are the sort of areas I'm looking at. And you sit and you might sit there and go, I thought about that and it really helps you work out where to start it does it's, it's actually also quite helpful to to go through that process with somebody else as well because then you know if you are being a little bit harsh on yourself <laughs> or the other way or the other way yeah somebody else who's perhaps a little bit more objective might kind of help you with that process so you know I, I spend a lot of my work is is in involved with schools supporting them to carry out whole school send reviews and you know I I go into lots of schools which are really really effective where the leaders are are, are themselves really reflective anyway you know but self ongoing self-evaluation is 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 a key part of of their school improvement cycle and they're doing this sort of thing all the time but actually, they, they just welcomed somebody else coming in to, to support them with that process because, you know, sometimes it's difficult for them to see sort of past what's straight in front of them. Some, uh, quite often, actually, particularly the really good ones, they are very, very harsh on themselves and they don't always identify all of the strengths that are, all in, that are in place. And, you know, quite often they focus on the, oh, we haven't done this yet. This is what we need to do without actually thinking about all the really good things that they do. So, yeah, that, that process can sometimes benefit from somebody else doing it alongside. Yeah, because sometimes you might be focusing on a particular year that didn't go well or a child you hadn't. But actually, they might sit there and go, okay, yeah, that, but actually for that child, this happened and that was a big thing. So sometimes you might you might pick on the negative incidents in your head and, and glaze over the positives. I think, to be honest, as a profession, we that's what we tend to do. You know, I just, I, I don't know, I don't really know why, but yeah, I, I think we always, you know, and it's like, it's like when you have, a, you know, as, as a teacher, parents evening, you have parents evening, you have 30 children in your class, you have 29 sets of parents who are just really happy with what's happening. And then you have one set of parents who aren't, and that's the only thing you will focus on then. Yeah, forget the other 29, that, that one set of parents who, you know, are not happy with with what you're saying that's what you focus on and as I say I just think we t we tend to have a bit of a, <laughs> of a thing with that when there's an announcement from the government there might be nine ten twelve good points and one point that everyone disagrees with yeah, and that's, that's one that gets good. all the attention all the news all the focus and yeah. the other 12 yeah forget about them this this one here I don't like so I think and I suppose once you've done these reviews it's giving you uh, I got I got someone who always calls it, calls it that low-hanging fruit yes yeah. literally telling you this is the bit you go for first. This is the bit you're really not good at. So it really helps you. You need to go in this story. You need to look here. So that really helps you think about how do I improve? It's going to help you there. And then I suppose once you've done that, you'll sort of hopefully work out where your next steps are. But Or you can do another review and get someone else involved later on. And I think, you know, what I suppose what, you, what, what you're describing at, you, what you're describing at the moment, you could almost apply to what schools might be doing in terms of coaching or mentoring teachers as, as well you know that 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 kind of coaching process where perhaps you know together with the coach you're identifying actions to work on and then you know as, as a teacher you're putting those actions in into place you're reflecting yourself you again you're having those conversations with your coach or your mentor who might be able to provide a bit of a steer in terms of you know what 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 comes next really definitely so looking through the show notes I one of all the information I've got I think we've kind of covered all the things we plan to. Have you got any top tips, last things you want to share? Oh, well, I will just I will just make reference to another resource actually, which I haven't mentioned, which is quite useful, which is the SEN support document, which was published by the DFE a couple of years ago. It has a the, the whole title of the document is incredibly long. It's called SEN Support Research Evidence on Effective Approaches 
and examples of current practice in good and outstanding schools and colleges. It literally has the longest title ever. I just tend to refer to it as the SEN support document. So if you can perhaps put put a link to the <laughs> to the guidance on the webpage alongside the podcast, that will help people. But that 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 document was um, developed, as I say, about two years ago now, and it includes some some nice examples of of good practice around high quality teaching for pupils at SEN support. Some of it links quite well with the the some of the outcomes of the EEF report that I mentioned earlier on, but it identifies again particular strategies around high quality teaching that are, are that are have found to be useful for, for pupils at SEN support. So again, it, it's things like metacognition, retrieval practice and interleaving, use of memory strategies to support that long-term, long-term memories, securing learning in, in long-term memory. It also picks up on the research around effective use of teaching assistance as, uh, as well. And it, it breaks it down into strategies useful for key stage one and two, and then three and four as well. So um, it kind of covers the, it covers the range. So that's that, that's worth having a look at. I have literally wrote SEN support research and then I literally ran out of writing because you were going too fast and it was too long. Well, <laughs> SEN support from DFB as well. I'll find the link and I'll put that in the show. Okay. <laughs> Along with, I'll mention, I'll get a link to the early, early careers framework and the whole school SEND reflection framework. I'll get that in the show notes as well. Okay. The other thing, of course, that I will just mention before we finish is my book. The Teacher's Guide to Send. So, um, and in in the book, one of the earlier chapters is is all focused around high quality teaching. So, worth having a look at. Obviously, I always think that sometimes you see stuff with the work with SEND on. It should just be the Teacher's Guide to Teaching. Oh, I, well, I, I couldn't. But it's one of the things I sit there because it's like oh, yeah. should, the whole inclusion thing should yeah. be. Uh, yeah. Yes, no, but yes, that will be in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today pleasure thank you very much for inviting me you're welcome i always enjoyed it i'll be putting links um to all of that in the show notes they'll be available on the website www.thesendcast.com big thank you for listening to the show please let us know what you think please leave a reply on itunes uh, leave a comment on the sendcast you can comment on the different episodes or you can say how amazing it is on twitter using the hashtag sendcast or you can just drop me an email to dale at the if you look for us on social media, you can find us on all the usual channels. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. And on LinkedIn, just search for The Sendcast. But if you want to get in touch with us, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed The Sendcast, please look into the virtual Send conference. Or if you're a parent, look at Parent Talks. I mentioned these at the beginning of the podcast. They're a great way to get support and advice around SEND. Both events are run by B Squared. They're not about what we do. They're about supporting a wide range of areas within special education needs and disability. They are talks which we pre-record. So they are videos which you can access across the internet when it suits you. Our school events can be accessed by anyone in a school, not per person. So it's a great way to support high quality teaching. And you can buy tickets for future events or past events. The videos are always available. The cost for the school's conferences are £60 for the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10%, 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. And you can find out more about the events for schools by going to www.virtualsendconference.com. And if you're interested in parent talks, um, they only cost £10 for the series. So for £10, you get 12 pre-recorded videos supporting parents and carers at different stages on your journey. So lots of different content in there. Uh, and schools, you can also access the content because it's a great way to support your parents. Uh, so for more information on parent talks, go to www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.